I'm Nick Filardi. I'm Jason Theobar. Welcome to the world's second finest podcast. Today, we're talking about Batman Adventures 26, which came out October 1994. Flirting or fighting? Why not both? <laughs> Jason, Barbara. Barbara, <laughs> I got a nice Robin over here for you. <laughs> what did you think of this issue, Jason? I really liked it. I did too. Only only small complaint is that they had to they they clearly wanted like a you know a bit more room, maybe a little bit for the story, but it's pretty dense. You know, but at the same time, I think I I think I could have done with less plot and more just like Dick and Babs just just like needling each other. I, I would yeah. have taken a whole issue of them just hanging out in school, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is a good like screwball comedy back and forth whenever whenever they get together. I think I mentioned that in the last uh, issue we talked about with them in it. It seems like very 50s screwball. Yeah, you know. just very fun. Just very yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, good shit. But before we get to that, Batman 512 was on the stands, written by Doug Munch, penciled by Mike Manley. Mike Manley, I don't know if you noticed, also doing the covers. He did the cover for this and the last cover. No more Kelly Jones. He's out of there. Got Mike Manley covers now. Yeah, I dig a Mike Manley cover. Yeah, Uh, this starts a three month long arc of prodigal. After a year of Asriel, followed by the events of Zero Hour and, and three Batman origin issues, finally ready to sit back just enjoy a classic Bruce Wayne Batman story. Now that Bruce Wayne is back in the what? And I'm being told in my earpiece that we don't get any of that. None of that. (laughs) Absolutely nothing of that. Rug pulled, man. Rug pulled like a freaking NFT scheme just right out of there. Bruce starts this issue by going out for a pack of smokes and never coming home. (laughs) (laughs) dick grayson takes the mantle of the bat with tim drake as robin killer croc is on the loose so anyway dick grayson kicks off the job by making eggs he's cooks in the kitchen for him and tim he remarks that he had to live without alfred so he knows his way around a kitchen gordon and the mayor clash over the results of nightfall on the bridge where the batmobile exploded gordon tips batman to some strange attacks by the river He also immediately sees that this is a third Batman (laughs) after being (laughs) deceived by Jean-Paul Batman for a while. He was putting his faith in the man that Batman was, not the mantle of the bat. Croc tries to strike at organized crime by spooking some gun runners on a dock and telling them to call their boss before killing them. He's looking for Bane's attention and revenge after Batman issue 489. But he doesn't know that Bane's been long gone by now. Dick is unsure about being Batman. He doesn't know if he's ready yet to be Batman and people could die. They fight Croc. Eventually organized crime guys show up. They fight and beat both Croc and the organized crime guys. After being wildly successful this issue as Dick Grayson being Batman for the first time, he ponders, if I barely cut it as Robin myself and didn't do much better as Nightwing, what am I going to do now? Jason, what did you think of Batman 512? Eh, I was I was kind of cold on it, except for the uh, I'm I'm loving the continual plot of uh, Gordon having uh, an existential crisis about his relationship <laughs> with Batman. 
that's, I think that's, it's a, done, that's the fun part right there. Yeah, I think it's done really well. I, I was really thinking about it and like, you know, Killer Croc really only works, I think, or works best, I should say, works best when he's more sort of in the mold of what he's like in the animated series where there's there's something where you kind of care about him where like even though he's this like violent murderous monster like even in like in the series he's like tragic and there's still this like you know it's it's like yeah. not his fault sort of like tragedy to him but like when they just kind of run him straight up like a movie monster you know it's like i don't know he there, straddles, there is one in this in this issue he straddles like movie monster but he also is like ties to organized crime like i not this one but in uh batman 489 where bane broke uh the arms of uh croc yeah when they were fighting yeah croc mentions or maybe it's in a flashback or something i i can't remember but the last time we saw croc they mentioned that he was like running organized crime for a while in gotham and i'm like this is dumb. Why is he doing that? He's a monster. Yeah. Well, and, and also, and also, like he's, and, and again, to me, like the best version of his character, where he's just this like big dumb galoot who right. ended up getting these monster powers and tried to make the best of it because he's just a big dumb galoot and he figures he'll wrestle anyway, even though he like looks like a human crocodile. And then like, and then the tension is supposed to come from that. But when he's just like straight up like just this like kind of like unthinking monster but still kind of dumb it's not as interesting yeah i will say though i did love this there's this one panel that i absolutely loved in this issue where he's getting the drop on the goons in the boathouse you know right and like and someone goes who's that what's there what's going on and as he's is a panel or as he's dropping down from the shadows he just goes death yeah. And I'm, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. e- even yeah. though even, e- even through my criticisms, I'm like, yeah, comics are good. Comics yeah, are comics good. Are That's, good. So, you know, that and we'll, we'll pick it up again in the next issue, too. But like, man, this whole fucking like. Just Dick Grayson just out loud being like, I don't know if I can be Batman. I don't know if I could be Batman. It's like, guys, can I get like a little bit of subtext, like something? Right. You know, instead right. of just right or or maybe him like fucking up first and then going, I don't right. know, I can do this instead of just that right away being like, yeah, he was like wildly successful as Batman his first time out. And he's like, I don't know if I could do this. People could die. And I'm like, you seem fine at it. Like and, and you've done and you've and you've like whatever timeline this is, like whatever kind of like whatever at this time they consider to be canon, you've also had some serious shit as Nightwing and with the Teen Titans. So, like, okay. Uh, I looked you this know. up in the animated series. Dick left because like he and Batman were like butting heads. Dick just kind of outgrew being a sidekick and wanted to be his own man. But yeah, apparently in the mainstream continuity. Joker shot Dick Grayson. And then that, like, I guess that, like, spooked Batman. I wasn't sure on this, but Batman essentially fired him because he was like, I can't it's have too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Yeah. I assume it's because it's too dangerous. I don't know if it's that or if Batman was like, you, you screwed up. You got yourself shot. Get out of here. You know, like, I don't know. One or the other. One or the other happened. Yeah. Uh, but Dick Grayson became Nightwing in Tales of the Teen Titans 44. And that happened in July 1984. And we're in 94. So he's been Nightwing now for like only about 10 years. I always just assumed Nightwing came about in the 70s. 
honestly. So did I. I thought he had a long storied history at this point of being yeah. on his own and being like, uh, you know, a capable crime fighter. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He's still pretty early in the game. Like when Nightfall started, you know, Batman could have got Dick to put on the the bat suit for him yeah. instead of Jean Paul. Yeah. But like that was what two years before this, so it was like eight years as Nightwing, maybe. So he's yeah, so like maybe still yeah. pretty new, still pretty new as Nightwing. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, but but still, it's it was it was just very like it's again, it's like the the lack of subtext with it, and then also yeah. going from the like flipping <laughs> the so far the the entire prodigal storyline has this problem where whenever it's just Dick and Tim, it seems like a G Willikers situation, and then it just oh flips God, to like dude. the yes, and then it just <laughs> but then it just flips to the absolute darkest shit, just right. to like. Absolutely. So- like, hey, kids, you like Tarantino, too? Well, guess what? Here's a bunch of fucking murder. Like, yeah. All right. Then. But then when it's when it's them, there was there was a bit in in one of these where it's like two philosophers debated the best way of like cleaning the house. And then none of the house got clean. And, and you know, Tim Drake's like, you know, message received. Let's start sweeping up. And it's just like, oh, my God, what the fuck am I reading? You know? Yeah. They're, yeah, exactly. The problem is, is that they're trying to make Robin as a character is supposed to be jokey. He's supposed to be light. He's supposed to yeah, lighten quits. up Batman's darkness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And now we we essentially have two robins hanging out and I honestly just want to kill both of them. <laughs> no no offense to to any of those listening because they might actually be in the people listening to this and I do honest to god very lo- much love them, but yes, two robins is big theater kid energy. Like Yeah. Absolutely. Just, absolutely. Don't get me wrong, theater kids, I absolutely love you. I'm too much of a, I was always too much of a coward to truly be one of you, even though I know there's a big part of me that would have gravitated <laughs> towards that. But I, I was too much of a coward to like actually go for it. But yeah, big, big freaking like, you know, they they love doing like uh, a summer theater camp. You know, yeah. it's like they get yeah. they get super pumped about. That's yeah, that's oh, very, man. very much two two Robins. I didn't think about it like that. It's like, oh, you got two Robins now. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's, it's I, jokes all the way down and then also murder. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess I, I guess the cheesiness does really track with with the characters, because like, yeah, if it's sure like, it's it's supposed to be the the the, you know, the creamer to Batman's dark coffee. And yeah, you know, now, and, now, now all you got is coffee, mate, in your mug. Yeah, right. You're just drinking pure coffee, mate. Yeah. You also got to think about it like this. You know, Dick Grayson was very light. And then Jason Todd was more uh he was a little darker as a robin and then he was murdered and then tim drake comes along and tim drake's a little light and it's kind of like oh it's a return to form like we're gonna have tim drake back here and it's gonna be like batman and robin how it used to be because you guys voted and decided to murder you know jason todd in death in the family so it's like a return to form. And now we're stuck with these two jokey idiots. And like the, the next couple of Robins haven't happened yet to kind of like flesh out the brand, really. Yeah. So you have Dick Grayson and like an echo of Dick Grayson in Tim Drake. I also I also love the very plainly um, and and honestly, like 
I'm, I'm sure uh, not really thought about in the forethought of the creation of just Robin in general and how they write Robin, but it's just like, yeah, hey, Tim Drake and, and Dick Grayson, do you think you guys are both like really jokey and ready to always crack wise because you're horribly traumatized? Right, right. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Yes. Also, also a very good point. You, push, you guys, Jason, take the feelings, push them down. Yeah. You think, you think it's a coping mechanism at all, guys? Uh, guys? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Let's move on to more trauma for these characters. Oh, yeah. Shadow of the Bat 32, written by Alan Grant, with pencils by Brett Blevins, is Prodigal 2. Ventriloquist and his dummy Scar- Scarface are going after some dealer connections from a rival gang that is on ventriloquist's original turf now that he's out he wants it back scarface is intercepting and cutting a rival gang's heroin supply with strychnine killing addicts and crippling their business scarface sets up a meet to talk about splitting the business in exchange for backing off harvey dent gets sprung from arkham after a computer glitch says let's harvey kent go harvey kent was two-faces original name when he was first created in Detective Comics 66 in 1942. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's that's fucking awesome. I did not know that. That's a that's a great little goddamn. That's, yeah, that's it's great. a fun little that's, nod. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dick and Tim work on trying to fix up Wayne Manor. They get to the Batcave to see what's on the news, that junkies are dying. To figure out who's behind it, they just Google it on the computer. It's Scarface. <laughs> They hit some old Scarface hideouts only to find the rival gang well-armed and about to knock on the doors of Scarface's hideout in retaliation for the junkie stuff. It isn't a meet, it's a hit. And Scarface knew it. He has his men waiting to hit back. It's a double cross, triple cross. I'm not even really sure at this point. Anyway, two gangs are there and they're going to shoot at each other. Yeah, yeah. Batman and Robin get in the mix, neutralize the gang war. Scarface pays Marty, the head of the rival gang, a visit. Scarface is about to kill Marty by jamming a corkscrew up his nose and into his brain. Batman and Robin are on the scene in time. They catch the ventriloquist, but not before he drops Scarface to let his dummy go away to freedom. Scarface and a thug get away. They drive away. Batman and Robin call it a win because they got the brains of the operation ventriloquist. After all, it's just a dummy. The thug who got away, gets specific directions to hit up a train station locker. He expects passports and cash to go on the run with Scarface. But what he gets is a book, How to Throw Your Voice. Jason, what did you think of Shadow of the Bat 32? I I actually kind of liked it. I, I, actually I know did. you I did. Kinda, I know you I, did, because you, you're a sucker for a ventriloquist story. I am. I am. And that ending was just so good, too. And it you was know what? a very good ending. And I do appreciate how you uh, separated from uh, the ventriloquist from Star- Scarface. Yes, you know, they're two different characters. Yeah, they're completely like that's great, great respecting of uh, of, of his boundaries. Uh, yeah, I, I am a sucker for uh, any ventriloquist story. I do. Again, single panel in this issue that I fucking loved is when. Uh, Batman and Robin were diving down into the middle of the fight and just yeah, Batman slash Dick's word balloon be like, it's a grenade. Run, you fools. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the two gangs go to war, not with just handguns, it like grenades and like everything's on fire. It was actually like some pretty good action in this issue when they were yeah. when they were going at it. Some good movement. Uh, 
Dick in the Batman suit is very like acrobatic compared to like Bruce in the Batman suit. He's very much yeah, Nightwing. It, it, even though it's a smaller detail, but yeah, it, it is. Uh, I appreciate the attention to that. Like uh, Dick was never supposed to be as like uh, uh, beefy. Like Batman's right. supposed to be like Bruce Wayne's supposed to be built like an NFL linebacker. You know, yeah. he's like he's like six. He's like six, three, six, four and like pretty big and like kind of flexible, but pretty still pretty muscular. And like, yeah, Dick's supposed to be more like a gymnast where he's like more like stretchy and, you know, that kind of like. Yeah, I believe it's in the the next issue we're going to talk about. But Gordon's like, you're clearly a third Batman, like you're like three <laughs> inches shorter than the other Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I did I did very much like uh yeah, the end. The ending is what like it. It was pretty good, and then that ending just like shot the me ending, through the heart with like, yep, that's yeah. what that's what sealed it for him. I was like, okay, that's really, really good. clinched that's, it. It's such yeah. a, it's just such a fun ending and a commitment to the bit. Like Scarface has to go on. Like his his mania is like drop Scarface for freedom and let him survive. And the way to do that is to teach someone else ventriloquism. Well, and and I do love the the sort of like clearly nodding towards that like no the ventriloquist isn't actually insane this is a this is a a demon doll that possesses him you know who has like powers because of all the ghosts of like murderers that were hung on yeah, at the so, galleys like i, I, I kind of like that paranormal sort of like and did you read the because, showcase books that that had the origin I, I read the I read the first one because then I was like looking okay. at how much zero hour I had and I was like, all right, all right, I can't dilly on this. And, you know, <laughs> do, dove into they, zero hour. They kind of leave it very vague, like he, Scarface brings it up again in this this issue where yeah, he's like, yeah. I was crafted from gallows at Blackgate Prison that like yeah. hung two hundred over two hundred men, but then were like destroyed by an act of God, like with lightning, and yeah. so it's like that evil is baked into him. But like yeah. the way that they play it, you don't really know if there is something supernatural happening or yeah. if like ventriloquist really is crazy because Scarface is only talking to ventriloquist the whole time. Really? Yeah. 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 And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I never want that question answered. Like this might be an ice cold take because I haven't taken the temperature on this in a while, but I, I believe one of the biggest mistakes in superhero comics in the past, like 20 years was like actually telling Wolverine's origin, oh, you know, yeah. st stupidest yeah. goddamn thing. Like one of the things that made the character so cool was his mysterious past. And it could have been anything. And it involves ninjas maybe. And he might be 200 years old. He might yeah. be a thousand years old. We don't fucking know. He was in Canada for some reason, but yeah. he might be yeah. Canadian. He might, you know, Japan and then like come for a to while, who knows? Who knows what he's yeah, got mixed up? Yeah, in. yeah. And then it's like, oh, he was uh, actually uh, the son of a a, a rich uh, Canadian family before uh, they broke off from England and kind well, of Jason, ran away. Of course, it's like, yeah, of course, cool, it man. sounds dumb when you do it in that voice. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think if I could do like my best, like Will Arnett, like cool deep guy voice, it would still like you it know, would still sound dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Previously on X-Men. This poor, sickly child of rich parents in Canada circa 1870 would grow up to be the killing machine that is Weapon X, otherwise known as Logan. Oh yeah, and Logan's his last name. Ooh, 
Yeah, that sound better? That, that sound... actually did sound... I, I'm kind of on board now. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to oh, lie. Said, Shit. Da- damn me and and my just natural innate salesman skills. Jesus. I'm gonna, like I'm gonna Don put, Draper over I'm going to put a little... A little uh, X-Men the animated series under underneath that. <laughs> great, great, great theme it's song. Be, it's gonna be a banger. Great theme song. <laughs> did you did you uh did I, I always forget because you, you do love the ventriloquist, but you don't seem to be as easily like I y- okay, you know, this is I all the ventriloquist stories that I we've am. had have yeah. been very, very good. I will hmm. say that. I don't have a deep love for the ventriloquist, but so far it's been all bangers. Yeah. One of the, my favorite parts of this story was when ventriloquist threw Scarface to like get rid of him and the, and the thug caught him and put him in the car. And the, there's a shot of like the thug driving away with Scarface in the car. And it's like the doll on the seat in the front seat. And he's like, don't worry, Mr. Scarface, we got this. And he drops away. And I was like, oh, man, everybody's committed to the bit. Oh yeah. No, it's, it, it's great. I think, I think, and we'll talk about this in the next issue, which was actually uh, my favorite of this this part of the prodigal run. I think one of the things I love the most about Ventriloquist is that it's something that comic books and specifically superhero comics actually singularly do better than any other genre, I think, or medium, which is that you can, it's such a ridiculous premise, but you just, it's so much easier to accept you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like if you sure. if you if you saw the premise of the ventriloquist in like a live action like uh, procedural detective think, show. Yeah, I don't think he works on on a live action show. Uh, yeah, yeah, but in in an animated show or more more so in comic books, it's like y- immediately you just you're just like, it. yeah, a superhero. Oh, this kind of oh, and he's the yeah, sure, I'm in. No, right. No needs. It's like you didn't even need to know. I mean, again, it's a fun wrinkle of like if it's real or not of like the whole like origin of of, of uh, Scarface. But you don't even need that. Like and you you right, haven't right. needed that for however long the ventriloquist has existed. You're just like, yeah, he's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. takes orders from uh, the puppet. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, it's just what the gang does. Like, sure. You know, and, and, and like, yeah, it's, it's such such great, like fun, fun stories to come from that. Sure. Detective Comics 679, written by Chuck Dixon and penciled by Lee Weeks. It's Prodigal 3. Ratcatcher is up for parole. He uses a whistle to call rats to him, overwhelming the parole board and getting loose. The swarms of rats let him escape from Batman and Robin as well. They watch from a rooftop across the way and then try to swing into action but it's a narrow ledge and it's covered in rats and they're kind of struggling. It's there's a lot of rain. Robin falls. Dick Grayson catches him. Ratcatcher gets away. Tim's dad surprises Tim with tickets to a tennis open, sidelining Robin for the issue. Dick Grayson learns that Two-Face is loose. He's cooking up a plan to get Ratcatcher. Dick Grayson goes to Gordon with help for, for Two-Face. Gordon gives Batman the third degree. How many of you are there? Is the armored one gone for good? Dick says, nothing has to change, Commissioner. And Gordon insists, everything changes. Ratcatcher monologues to a bunch of rats in the sewer that Gotham is theirs, before realizing that one of the rats has a transmitter on him. From off panel we hear, I call him Radio Rat. Batman is on the scene. He has a transmitter to drive the rats away and punches the heck out of Ratcatcher. 
that's it. What'd you think of Detective Comics 679? I absolutely loved it. I oh, this issue is a banger. Yeah. Lee Weeks, I, dude. Lee fucking Weeks. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I'm a sucker for Lee Weeks. And as we've talked about a lot, because he's written a lot of Batman books, but as, as we've mentioned, like, you know, sort of like Chuck, Chuck Dixon's more like obvious, like kind of conservative politics. But to, to be sure. fair to the man, he mostly like, like he, I mentioned that interview. He said, he's like, Hey man, I'm a hired gun. Like you want me to write like an anti-gun story? Like I'm a writer, dude. I'll write, you know, I'll write a character yeah. talking about anti-gun stuff. Like it's fine. Like he doesn't like, you know, uh, but like an issue like this kind of proves to me why he got so much work in the nineties, because there are some really quick ideas and they just, they work. Maybe some stuff would have been more clever with like how Ratcatcher gets away or not, or what, you, you know what I mean? But like, sure. It all, it all, it all works. It's it all, all really works. fun. Yeah. It's all really, really menacing. And, and again, like I was saying about, um, you know, ventriloquist, like Ratcatcher is like the same thing. Like it's not going to work in a non-superhero comic book. It's not going right. to work in right. a non-comic book uh, uh, medium. You know, it's just going to be, patently fucking ridiculous and like it's good if it would have to be played completely for a joke for it to work like on tv or something like that but like it just you know and and lee weeks's art just really helps this is the thing i want to dig into oh my god so so much the moment where like dick grayson as batman is in the office of gordon and they're like kind of like confronting each other and and dick's like you know it doesn't have to change. You know, it doesn't matter. Lee Weeks's art, the shots that he makes for this page, Gordon's just like sick of it. And like, you know, Batman takes off, you know, Dick Grayson as Batman takes off and Gordon's alone in the shadowy office and it's a small panel and he's like, everything changes. And it's like, you feel how isolated he is yeah. because of the way that Lee Weeks drew it. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally, he, he went very, um, he went very cinematic with it, you know? And, and it's so cool to see such a, it's so cool to see, uh, artists of any era, but especially before a lot of like, uh, I, I think nowadays there's probably a lot more talk about any medium and media criticism and the mechanics of it. You know, I think a lot of fans are a bit more attuned to that than they were when we were reading comics as kids. Like I think, sure, sure. You know, and, 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 you know, there are longer conversations to be had about how much to, or not to borrow from cinematic language, but just to see that, like, that's a very cinematic shot, you know, and it does really convey the, like, everything changes and it's just like oh gordon's literally like he has nobody right now like yeah, no one like yeah. Bar- barbara's off doing her oracle thing and he's you know his now paralyzed daughter never talks to him because she's too busy with whatever right. she does he can't he, trust he's struggling with his wife like yeah he can't trust she's, batman she's he's fighting with the mayor like, yeah right he's fighting with the mayor yeah, his wife is kind of pushing him away from Batman and and he's like the whole situation with Batman's pushing him away. He is alone. Like his department yeah. doesn't even like help him out really. It's just yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. And and the whole and the whole uh and I do love the um it sort of becomes a misdirection, but I do kind of love it how when when Two-Face is explaining like his plan, you know, to to the, oh, to yeah. the group that he got, which by the way, like, you know, fucking top five 
Two-Face by Lee Weeks, man. Like, Jesus Whew, Christ. Man, like, so, so good. Yeah. So I, good. We ca- I can't, I don't think it's possible to like oversell this issue because like, as far as like Lee Weeks's contribution, like every other page was gorgeous. Like perfect yeah. shot. Perfect shot. When like Robin stumbles off the ledge and Batman catches them as they're both on the ledge, legitimately compelling to watch and it's such a minor action and any other artist like any other regular dc artist drawing that i wouldn't feel scared for robin but because of the shots that lee picked out i was legit scared for robin in that moment where he slipped off the ledge i was like holy shit he's gonna fall yeah because you felt because you actually felt the height you know he 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 angled the scene enough that like you felt like oh, they're actually super high up right now. And like such a such a breath of fresh air among like all like the 90s kind of like no craft, like all flash, like nonsense that was happening in the 90s. Yeah, every panel might might as well have been a pinup, you know, sort of thing. Like, Like, yeah, when people think about 90s comics, it's a specific kind of comic book. And Lee Weeks just delivered a absolutely timeless classic with Detective Comics 679. Like, oh, yeah, this thing still holds up today. It's gorgeous. Hard, hard agree. Hard agree. And and honest to God, too, one of my favorite types of, you know, much in the same vein as a ventriloquist when this is like my favorite type of like Batman villain. Yeah, because like because it's the perfect villain for a character like Batman who doesn't have you know powers really it's like the same right thing with with daredevil being the obvious you know marvel batman analog you know of like daredevil's just a guy who sort of has better hearing you know and yeah. is really good at fighting <laughs> yeah. yeah and so it doesn't make sense for his rogue galleries to be that much more than like ninjas you know because right. it just yeah wouldn't it just wouldn't be fair because he didn't have powers you know like spider-man's right. super strong so like you can have rhino or whatever but like right, same right. thing with like Batman where it's like, you know, his best villains aren't really like like Joker's just a fucking maniac. Right. You know? Yes. Like same thing yeah. with like he Penguin. doesn't have any. He doesn't he's not super strong. He's not he doesn't have laser beams or anything like that. He's just like a crazy guy with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And just have this like cra- this 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 crazy guy that like has mastery over rats somehow. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. and and back to, and, and, and Lee Weeks just drawing the shit out of every single little rat oh friend. Oh, my God. Just yeah. all I don't these know. little rat friends. Like, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I hope that our viewers are reading along with us. Uh, yeah. I know they're not viewers. I know they're listeners. But this is the point is that like get the fire up the DC app, read the issues, maybe skip some weeks. You know, I, I, it's fine. I get it. You guys have a life. But like fire up Detective Comics 679 check it out yeah do yourself a favor and also after that do yourself a favor if you've never really heard of or uh dug that deep into lee weeks just do an artist search for lee weeks on the dc app if you already have it and just yes read because because lee weeks is like again he's one of those names that even back then even and even when i was a kid i'd be like shit all right lee weeks drawing it (laughs) you know i'll pick it up yeah like i i actually um I'm not super familiar. I was like looking for something that Lee Weeks has done. That's like distinctly his, like I was looking up his, his, uh, 
list of work. And it seems like he's just a, a one shot fill in guy for like Marvel and DC. Like he'll do a couple issues here, a couple issues there. There's no like run of something mm. that's like definitively like Lee Weeks masterpiece. And yeah. uh, that kind of broke my heart. If there's if there's a Lee Weeks thing out there that you love, that anyone who listens to this loves, let me know because I want to read more Lee Weeks. Yeah, hell yeah. So do I. We get a little a little bonus issue because Prodigal bleeds into Robin. Robin 11, written by Chuck Dixon with pencils by Phil Jimenez. It's Prodigal 4. Tim does a bunch of dumb high school stuff that literally no one cares about. Two-Face gets it in his head that Robin has to die. Robin is the source of his problems, not Batman. Two-Face murders an entire gala of lawyers. He plans on taking down the entire justice system, and this is his first play. Then he goes to the courthouse computers to hack them. The worker at the, at the computer terminal gets a distress call out to Batman and Robin via computers. That's something that computers do. Two-Face starts to hack up the computers. And by hack the computers, I mean fire up a chainsaw and hack that shit up. Batman and Robin arrive on the scene, and it's continued next week. Jason, what did you think of Robin 11? Uh, I mostly, I really liked, uh, Phil, uh, Jimenez. we, we just looked up how to say his name. Jimenez. Jimenez. Uh, I was, I was honestly always like in talking about nineties art, like his art is pretty, pretty part and parcel with like the nineties, but it's so, I do love it. And it's because it's so goddamn liquidy and it's it so, it's sometimes so all those like. <laughs> just bubbled muscles like on Batman and Robin and any yeah. scene they're on, like they're like, I just, it's, it's, it's not like the way you should, you know, to uh, tell the story. Uh, but, but I, I, I am kind of a sucker for it because of the, the hyper detail and man, yeah. this, and he, lo he loves detailing those wrinkles too. just any kind of clothing and drapery just gets, so oh, yeah. much treatment and and i i honest to god like i'm not i'm not being flip about it i really do uh enjoy the art um the you story know, was okay uh we were we were texting a little bit about it and you were like oh yeah phil phil did that issue it's great and i was like i, I don't know if i was like not paying attention or something but like i was like oh that was my least favorite of the four that we read and then uh when I went back and like put together the show notes, I, I reread it and I was like, this is actually pretty great. I think I was just in a, I think I was just in a bad mood. And then it starts, the whole thing starts off with like Tim being like high school drama. And I'm just like, Oh, I fucking hate Tim. Hello, hate Tim and I hate his dad. Yeah. It has, it has so much. The, the whole Robin story itself has so much like hello, fellow children. Yeah, you know, it's he, just, he has yeah, problems man. just like you. But I did enjoy. But then, but then, <laughs> like you know, ten pages later, we get Two Face in overalls. By the way, in, yeah. in overalls with and, a chainsaw, <laughs> and 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 the great and greatly rendered by by Phil with again all that liquidy ink that just like yeah, super hyper yeah. detailed like liquidy ink. And I do appreciate the um. It was started in the previous uh, issue of this arc where. Two-Face is explaining his plan to, the, to to his thugs that he hired. And 
he's talking about binary and ones and zeros and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a really like heady a two-phase caper and he's like yeah right. i'm gonna hack and then like great scene that one page right, splash right. page of him with the with the chainsaw i'm like oh yeah that's right two-face is crazy <laughs> like he's not he's uh, he might have his schemes but like they end at him just being fucking crazy and having half a face <laughs> like okay yeah that's that, that was it's a great okay. turn you know yeah. yeah they really they really build up like he's gonna he's gonna reprogram this computer and then it's like oh no chainsaw comes out then, then he's yeah. gonna handle it yeah. The, yeah yeah that was such a great punchline man that was such a great punchline and but yeah and like man, i said robin's Phil, so Phil goddamn drew it so so well it's like he yeah. looks like a goddamn maniac and he's like squatted down to like fit in the panel and it's just bonker yeah so good i can't wait yeah. till the next issue when it's batman and robin versus two-face with a chainsaw yeah hell yeah it, it just looks like so much uh fun i love i love it when it looks like uh an artist is having fun like you can tell it's a lot of work because of all the detail that right that goes into that and it probably like god like just like looking at the line art like it probably like was just such an insane thing to ink like i don't know yeah. I, I think he inked his own stuff so no, like, he didn't he uh, had a, he had an inker on that issue uh, uh okay i could look it up real quick if you just give I'm, me a second if, if i was his inker i might be like mad at him you know like when you when you read when you read the meme of like artists um comic book artists working with writers and like you know comic book writers being like and then in this crowd scene and this crowd scene they're like oh fuck <laughs> you inker was ray Kreising, c-r-y-s-s-i-n-g okay okay i can but yeah. i can just imagine like the imagine the pages like showing up and him just like staring at him being like really really <laughs> look at look at all these x's this page is mostly x's what what did you what, what am i supposed to do with this it's not enough time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm having, I'm going to have to work through the weekend on this shit. God damn it. Yeah. 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 yeah in, uh, you know, like, would it surprise, would it surprise you to tell you that uh, most comic artists work through the weekend, Jason? <laughs> that, no, that no, this job, not at all. This job never stops. No. Yeah. Did I, did I tell you that I, uh, uh, I got a reply from, um, wonderful. I think I've given them shouts before, but artists of, um, riceboy.com and, yeah, um, yeah, Vatu yeah. and a bunch of other, uh, Evan Dom. Uh, where I was like, man, like, I, I really envy your, uh, you know, like how prolific you are, like just how much stuff you have. Like, I wish I could get some of that willpower. And he replied like, well, no, the trick is just, uh, tie making art to your ability to eat. And, uh, you know, you, you start, you start doing <laughs> you a lot start to get prolific. Yeah. Yeah. You start to you work start, the weekends basically. Yeah. Yeah. You start to go, Oh God, I sure do like eating better. Keep drawing. <laughs> Uh, but but again just reiterate uh Rob, robin 11 the art in the two-face arc saved it and yes. final reminder uh, check out lee weeks and specifically check out this issue great issue yeah. that lee weeks did but check out lee weeks man like just always good always a good time yeah i'm i'm hoping that in the future Robin issues that are tied into this prodigal storyline that maybe we'll get a little less of Tim being like high school's crazy, you know, yeah, a little less yeah. of that. Oh, and, that, and that's the other thing. The whole, um, <laughs> the whole dream where he's embarrassed. It's like, dude, you're supposed to be like canonically 16 years old. 
You show up as Robin in high school. And not only that, clearly your suit shows off just how impossibly fucking jacked you are. What's embarrassing yeah. about that? Very oh, no. Jace, very embarrassing. Yeah, I remember being a 16-year-old and like I remember me being 16 and if I would have had like a, a six-pack or something, I totally would have been so embarrassed if anyone in my high school <laughs> in our high school would have seen me with my ripped abs. <laughs> oh no. Let's talk about Batman Adventures. All right. Batman Adventures, issue 26, written by Kelly Puckett, pencil by Mike Parabek, ink by Rick Burchett, color by Rick Taylor, letter by Richard Starkings of Comic Craft, edited by Scott Peterson with an assist from Darren Vincenzo. Mm. This is a Bat family. Oh, yeah. We have Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson as Robin, no longer in the Bat suit. Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson as Robin. And they are in college. And on the cover, they are swinging into action and there's been a man shot in the back by an unseen assailant. They both look very worried about it. There's great. To- there's a great uh, uh, zip tone sort of uh, lightly, you know, uh, overlaid yeah. on it, which I really I really appreciate. I appreciated the, the, the I don't subtlety think, of it. I think that and, is because these issues are scanned and not, oh, you think that's from the scan. Yeah, okay. because like, I don't think they have the sophistication to do like subtle zip tones at this Uh, time for these books. Like when I was looking at my actual issue, it doesn't look like they're trying to do zip tones. I think that this issue is uh, scanned. Okay. So maybe, so maybe that, well, that, that also, as we've established before, when I talked about, I I think when we read a bit of a Huntress, please, everyone care about Huntress, please care about Huntress. Even though the scans were pretty bad that I kind of enjoyed that the scans were bad. Yeah, yeah. There's you know, there's a, a a cool tactile kind of feel to a digital thing that way. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a there's a charm that's reminding you that like, yeah, the best we could do with this was like find an old issue of it that was probably like a second printing anyway, and just scan yeah. it and get it digital. This also uh, kind of tracks with um, things don't end up on the app, especially old things don't end yeah. up on the DC app until they are collected or remastered or whatever. Yeah. So unfortunately these being scans kind of shows like, Oh, we're, we're getting towards the end of the road as far as the, not the actual issues, but like the issues on the app, like this is issue 26. I think it goes up to 28, but like mm-hmm. the regular issues go up to 36. So oh. I don't right, know if, well. We're going to have to get on our ships and sail out to sea in order to find uh, some other ships that might have issues for you. I'm, I'm not sure is what I'm saying. We we can cross that bridge when we come to it. I'll, I'll, I'll look up some some things to to take care of okay. that problem. All right. This one is called Tree of Knowledge. Act one. Pop gun quiz. Be careful what you wish for kicks off with violence in a college classroom, a shooting, a murder. Barbara Gordon is the only one who seems concerned. She springs into shocked action. The rest of the students are either barely paying attention or just taking it all in, including Dick Grayson. The man was an actor. The gun, a cap, a cap gun. The criminology class is afoot. Dr. Morton asks the class to describe the killer to him. 
but not before Dick Grayson gives Barbara a bunch of shit about how Officer Grayson had some nice moves out there. <laughs> Barb and Dick both give very accurate descriptions to the fake killer. The rest of the class doesn't. Dr. Morton flags them for a special assignment in the library. When they are in the library, he takes the class to go check out the MacGuffin pistol, pistols, which I really enjoyed. Jason, did you yeah. did you chuckle at the MacGuffin pistols? Uh, oh, yeah. Like immediately, immediately. I was like, so for anybody uh. who doesn't know, uh, give a give a quick description of what a MacGuffin is, like what the term is. Uh, a Do you know offhand? It's it's a, it's it's essentially it's a uh, it's a distraction. You know, it's a um uh uh. uh Slight, you know, it's the 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 uh, mis- it's it's a misdirective sort of thing that I you're supposed thought- that you're supposed to get the audience to to, to pay attention to, you know. So it's, it's just like because because it led into the whole thing of like you know we'll get into it more like you know spoiler alert for the future like unless you don't want me to do that no no um, go go into it uh but it's the whole thing of how uh, the heist was pulled off the previous night. But yeah. he wanted everyone to think that the heist was pulled off the next night. Yeah. You see, so it was uh, a misdirection to get people. I always to, interpreted a MacGuffin not as like a misdirection or something, but just like an object that a character wants. He's going for oh, the, yeah, for the no. gun or he's going for the knife or he's going for the picture. And the pit, that object is a MacGuffin. That sounds actually. Yeah, that sounds more right than mine. <laughs> <laughs> that so, sounds yeah, more right the, than mine yeah yeah the the macguffin and i think that um uh hitchcock coined the term if if memory serves i'm not exactly sure but it yeah. sounds right sounds we're here, right we're here to just plug a lot of misinformation otherwise yeah yeah but 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 essentially <laughs> it, it yeah it is uh the the object of the character's desire it is or or i guess more famously the maltese falcon you know, where yeah, everybody's trying right. to get the Maltese Falcon, but like the story isn't about the object itself. They're like everyone's trying to get R2D2, right, but right. the story isn't about R2D2. You know, it's about the stupid sh- like like the object itself. A MacGuffin is yeah, yeah, the object itself isn't important at all. It's the characters driving to get the object or the thing, like whatever it is, is sure, what sure, is sure. more important. You know, like it's not uh, like a MacGuffin is very rarely like the the actual sword in the stone, you know, like the sword in the stone yeah. is not a MacGuffin because you get it and you're fucking king. Like, you, you yeah, know. man, I'm swearing a lot this this episode. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. I just, um, I'm just saying I just notice. While they're in the library, he takes the gla- the class to go check out the MacGuffin pistols. They were guns used by the notorious thief, Angus MacGuffin. No bank or private mansion was safe from this master criminal. Dick and Barb kind of flirt and kind of fight while putting together the papers. We close act one with the guns sitting on display, seemingly safe and sound. However, it looks like Dr. Morton has a pair of similar pistols and he's working on the handle of the gun. We don't exactly know what's going on yet. This is kind of the setup. Basically, he wanted to get... Barb and Dick because they were so observant with the fake crime out of there and and have the dumb class with him to check out the pistols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, you fucking idiots. Yeah, yeah. These friggin' Do you, uh, Is there anything you want else you want to talk about with Act One? 
Um, I I do really see this. This was like my initial, like only small criticism of this issue was that uh, the scene in the library with the banter, like I would have liked to have seen more of that. Like it would have been, yeah. I think a bit better. Yeah. Like, it would have definitely been, I think maybe um, up to like, just an even better story if it was like a 48 pager where they could have made the relationship oh, with, with Barb and Dick and the professor like a, a bit deeper, you know, yeah. to make like that let betrayal me, a bit read, more. Let me read a zinger from Dick Grayson to Barbara Gordon while they were in the library. Yeah, yeah. Dick Grayson's like pulling out a book and Barbara's working really hard. And and they do a really good job of uh, setting up Barbara as like this kind of like has to get all the right answers, like works hard, but very naive and sweet, you know, whereas Dick yeah. Grayson's kind of like, he's going to get all the right answers, but he's going to like hang back, you know, and kind of yeah, like he's gonna watch. Be a, yeah, he's going to be confident. a cool guy about it. Yeah, because he's right, like, I right. already know all that. I already know this stuff. I don't need to, you know, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. I was trained by Batman. It's fine. Whatever. Who yeah, cares? yeah. So he's like, why are you sweating this class so much anyway? You want to become a cop or something? Commissioner Gordon the second? Just like, <laughs> just giving her shit. She's like, uh, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? And he's like, no, of course not. And he's like, she's like, what do you want to be like, Bruce Wayne? You need some plastic surgery and a lobotomy first. <laughs> you know? They're just like, I, it's so fun. Them just yeah. giving each other crap and not knowing that each other's secret identities and stuff. I, I don't know. It was just very, very fun. And like, like you said. Yeah, could have done a, whole, a full issue of just them hanging out in the library, giving each other crap. It's like the same thing that Sam and Diane on Cheers was modeled after, you know, right. like the screwball comedies were like the characters like sort of don't like each other, but are attracted to each other. And it's just like, you know, it's just easy conflict. And like, so you just get to write yeah. barbs back and forth all the time. But the excuse for them being together is that like they secretly like each other, you know, right. like it's just right. an, ex an excuse to have like good quips really you know which but which i thoroughly enjoy and thoroughly enjoy that excuse so we head into act two take us into act two act two is careful what you wish for and in it we have a very nice professorial scene with the professor and i and i, I enjoy this really old school portrayal of a professor at a college because oh, yeah. he's in a a big office with a roaring fire and like has all this money because he's a professor. And as we all know, college professors get paid a whole lot of money. Right, Ask your college right, professors, yeah. kid. They're they're rolling in it. Um, and they're, uh, Barbara's having a conversation with him about why, uh, <laughs> why uh, Dick Grayson got a better grade than she did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She's she's irritated by it. Such she got an A, Grayson got an A plus. And she's like, I think I have as good a grasp on the material as he does, maybe even better. Like she's she's really got an axe to grind. Dick Grayson oh, yeah. is under her skin. Oh yeah. And ever ever the ever the apple polisher, Barbara Gordon. Right. Just, just yeah. trying to get that A bumped up to an A plus. But it's then, so it's so good, Jason. Like, oh, it is. It is. Like I reading this book i was like barbara's great i love barbara gordon she's fantastic <laughs> oh yeah well, i just want her to succeed <laughs> yeah well because you know because there, there, there's there's something about like you know that that type of person who's just a really sweet disposition but who can also take care of business 
when right. they need and to. And it's so driven and is so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and whatever, and however that display of confidence comes out, whether it like, obviously like Barbara can like, you know, punch pretty well, but but just having the like, uh, a, a sweet disposition, but also being, having self-confidence is such a, a rare uh, combination to, to have. Yeah. You know, it's such a, yeah. such a tightrope to walk. I think that's why when you see it, even in a fictional character, you just love it so much. You're just like, you're, yeah, you're yeah. fucking great. Such a great just, character. Yeah. Yeah. And the professor though, just, I really like this professor too. Cause the professor is very, the professor is very young. He's blonde and he's obviously like supposed to be shown as like this cool guy. You know, it's like, right. he's not your, he's not your grandpa's professor. And she's like yearning for his approval yes. the entire time. Yes. And in this conversation of why, Dick got a better grade than her. He's explaining like, well, yeah, Barbara, you, you know your stuff and you're really good at it, but you don't think like a criminal, like to really like catch him, you know, you got, you got to think how they are going to think. And I think maybe you're might be essentially he's saying like, Barbara, I think you might have too good of a heart, you know, to, to be, to, to think like a bastard and Dick obviously can kind of think like yeah. a bastard a little bit and you you have some trouble doing that and that that's the only thing that's holding you back so he makes that remark and then he says to her i'd ask that you consider however whether you even really want to do this like do you want to harden your heart and become like look through the eyes of the criminal mm-hmm. or do you want to continue to be this like sweet version of yourself kind of thing which i thought was like all all the crimes aside that we're going to yeah. get into. Yeah. Like this was a really neat character moment for Barbara and for the professor. Oh yeah. I was going to say nothing. Uh, there's a few things I love more in a, a straight up caper story than the, the thief and or criminal that, that isn't that bad to begin with and has like the change of heart. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the old loop in the third. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just like thief with a heart of gold. Yeah, or uh, before before the recording, we were talking about you know one of my favorite TV shows ever, Cowboy Bebop, and like you know yeah. like Spike Spiegel, who is I would say a tribute more than a straight ripoff of Lupin. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of Cowboy Bebop is sure a pretty but big it's that tribute. same trope of like criminal with a heart of like he doesn't want to hurt anyone, but yeah. he does exist outside of the law, kind of thing. Yeah, like he's not a good guy, but he's not the worst of the bad guys. Right, like right. I love I love a character like that. And you can see in the in this conversation with Barbara that like he's like, yeah, this is the display of him not actually being a bad guy because he recognizes like, oh, this person's really talented. But like she might maybe it wouldn't be good for her to like, right, you know, sort of turn into a, a shit person so she can catch shit people like that. That right. doesn't it's not fun. You know, he's essentially saying like it's. It's not fun thinking like this all the time, like thinking like right. a bad person all the time. It might not be good for your soul. This and, conversation makes Barbara like basically redouble her effort, by the way. Like, oh, she's yeah, like, yeah. She's like, I'm going to I'm going to show you I'm going to solve the 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 MacGuffin gun crimes. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to show you how 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 much of a how, how much I can think like a criminal. Yeah, she says, just wait, I'll find those revolvers and then we'll see who's got the quote unquote criminal mindset. Oh yeah, totally. And, and again, like, and, and Barbara's, you know, Barbara's character design, like just, I, I love it. I, I love, so I love, a, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I love that classic, like 
Cause, cause I'm sure like, you, you know, cause the, it's obviously modeled after the show, but like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of Tim Drake's influences or Tim Drake's Bruce Tim's influences <laughs> are, uh, uh, Archie comics, you know, and yeah. just like that, that I, I think Bruce Tim probably has had a lot of piles of, uh, copies of drawings of, uh, Archie comic characters <laughs> when yeah. he was a kid. Yeah. You know, and I just, it's, there is something about that, that character design and like what makes Barbara so lovable is like her expressive face and body, you know, yeah. cause it, cause the, yeah, the, the, the sh- drew the hell out of Barbara oh, in yeah. this issue. Yeah. Like the physical comedy of, of her is great. Speak, speaking know? of, so she leaves determined to get these guns, right? And you turn yeah. the page and speaking of physical comedy, what happens? Obviously, we sort of smash cut to uh, Barbara being shocked because she had gone to the police station to see her dad about the the, the robbery. And uh, her dad is looking at a bunch of uh, homicide photos in a dark room. Yeah. <laughs> and she uh, she suddenly gets uh, pretty queasy because she just <laughs> opens the door and just sees some crime scene photos with like, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> uh jim and you know someone else just kind of casually like oh yeah uh looking at this stuff oh hey barbara what what are you doing here like <laughs> yeah but shock face and then queasy and she's like i don't feel so good and, and yeah uh Parobek really sold the whole emotion on this whole page of like barbara feeling nauseous and like kind of stumbling out of there and yeah yeah, well, yeah. and i think and i think it was a really important and and in such a short issue, like handled so well of like, yeah, Barbara, maybe you don't want this because this is also another part of this world. Like it's not all right. just like handsome criminology professors stealing, you know, uh, museum guns, you know, it's not it's, all it's not all watching Robin lift a full grown man over his shoulder <laughs> and swooning a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of it is like the darkest brutal side of humanity (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you know she gets you know she gets the tip from her dad after she almost pukes after accidentally seeing some crime scene photos uh, about who's who's heading up this case of of the stolen guns and it's bullock because it's always bullock and sadly we don't get even a little appearance from harvey we get kind of harvey's uh voice a little bit because she goes to to check out his notes and his this this part was so good where she's like reviewing the tapes of the crime and then you have like a narration of the crime in Bullock's report for the commissioner. Yeah. But then on top of the report, Montoya's like marking up the report, trying to fix it for Bullock. <laughs> so like even without Bullock and Montoya here we get a little bit of their voice, which was so good and so smart. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated that, that gag of all the red pen, like the entire yeah. page just crossed out. And I, as soon as I saw it too, before I started reading, you know, that was like, Oh, this is going to be good. Do you want to, do you, you want to read the report? Do you want me to read the report? You go, you're, you're honest to God, your eyes are better. I'm mean, I, I did. Okay. Strain all right. All right. Cause bit. it is, it is very small. When I was, uh, when I was looking at this on the uh, app, I had to like zoom in to like read all this stuff. And I yeah. did that because I, I care about these characters, especially Montoya. I love Montoya. Yeah. So, Montoya is great. 
This says, uh, MacGuffin pistol robbery report, Sergeant Harvey Bullock. That's the first page. And Montoya wrote on the top of it, Sergeant, if you just toned down the language some, Commissioner Gordon wouldn't keep rejecting your reports. I penciled in some suggestions like you asked, Montoya. So you turn the page and Harvey wrote, and it, it's kind of like half off the page. So like Barbara's thumbs kind of covering it up. Some of it's a little uh, obscured, but he says, first, the idiot blew some blew up my door with some kind of mini explosive. If those chem lab bums weren't too busy eating my donuts, I could tell you what kind. And then Montoya crossed out the idiot. She wrote perpetrator and she crossed out the crime or the chem lab stuff. And he says she wrote lab results are pending. And then you go to the next one and it's like, then the jerk set off some kind of smoke bomb. And then there's a like ink blot thing. And he says, sorry, Kamish had to squash a bug. <laughs> and and uh, Montoya's crossed out jerk and wrote perpetrator. And then she wrote on the bottom, consider retyping this page, Sergeant, because of the bug, the bug carcass on it. Yeah. Bullock wrote once it was too smoky for the cameras to see him. The perp entered the room, smashed the the display case and made off with the goods. And Montoya wrote him slash her, meaning that we don't know what the sex of the perp. And when he wrote perp, she circled it and she was like, good one. You know, like she's like encouraging him a little bit. And instead of and she crossed out goods and she wrote MacGuffin pistols. And then at the end, she wrote, Sergeant, good job. Much better than last time, Montoya. <laughs> yeah, that just all all in four panels, a great a great entire story of what it's like to work in the in the office with Detective Harvey Bullock. Yeah. And Montoya, yeah, you know. who's like over yeah. your shoulder, like trying to make sure the thing gets filed right. You know? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the of Montoya being the professional one and Bullock being the, the, the slob, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Montoya still being like, you know, nice being like, hey, Harvey, good job on this one. Yeah. Hey, why don't we better. try? Yeah. Why don't we try changing this to this word? Just, total kid gloves because she yeah, knows yeah. there's no other way like yeah there's so much there is so much story told there in such a uh such a short short amount of time after barbara gets the gist from the police report she heads to the scene of the crime and who does she find but this heartthrob robin as she immediately <laughs> puts him in an arm bar and he doesn't seem too bothered by it. And he's like, yeah, he's ow, like I confess, ow. I confess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, God damn, man. Dick Grayson is horny. He's all horned up. <laughs> but she has him in the arm bar and then she realizes it's him. And she's just so excited to see Robin, too. Yeah. Like there's just such a expression on their sleeves, like with Robin and with Batgirl that Parobeck drew in this issue. It just, it, it enamored both characters to the reader. Yeah. Yeah. Barbara does have like, yeah, that like when she realized that face, when she realizes it's him, like I'm looking at it right now and like it has, she does have very much, uh, very big, like yellow lab energy, you know, (laughs) just, just so pumped to be alive. Just so, just, just, Hey man, this is so cool. Right. It's like no, this is a crime scene. She's like, "Oh my god, Robin, this is amazing." <laughs> Written this way, she's a very, very endearing character. Oh man, so much fun, so yeah. much fun. Yeah. 
So they get to work uh, investigating the crime scene after a bit of a bit of light banter because this is uh, Batgirl and Robin, not uh, Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson. So they're not constantly sniping back and right. forth trying to right. get one over on the uh, on, on yeah. the other one. They're kind of going back and forth of uh, what happened at that at, at this robbery here. This this explosion that happened was was the bomb set off to cover the escape. Yeah, Dick Grayson comments he's like, kind of an unusual break-in. Why blow up a lock that could be easily picked? Why is a smoke bomb instead of a disguise? You know, like they're already like, this is extremely suspicious. Yeah, yeah. And then Barbara has the bright idea. She's like, hey, wait a minute. I I bet I bet the robbery didn't happen on the night that the thief wanted us to think it happened i think it happened the night before let's check the tapes the security tapes from the night before yeah the she kind of puts it together that like all of these things the explosion uh, on the a door the shattering of the glass from the inside out the you know smoke bomb it all could have been remote triggered basically yeah yeah and how did the thief get in there to to do it without being caught right. and it's right. because it, it was because they were already stolen and replicas put in their place and then a robbery was staged after the real robbery had already happened which mm-hmm. man i'm taking notes <laughs> i'm gonna start hitting up some uh, uh famous display cases jason don't get me wrong like we all know that i'm way too lazy for that but Oh yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, totally gonna, totally gonna get some schematics, get some blueprints. Maybe get know? one of those like harnesses that that you can hang from the ceiling and like yeah. Mission Impossible style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try to try to squeeze myself into a dinner cart like an Ocean's Eleven. You know. Yeah, sure. I'm, I think I'm flexible I, enough for this. Oh man, I just in my brain, I just imagined like a video. Of you being like, okay, first trial of squeezing into the dinner cart via Ocean's Eleven style. And it just being like 45 minutes of you being like, I think I'm stuck. I can't move. <laughs> I need help. The cart falls over. And, and then like, help. Is anyone there? Is anyone there? And then smash cut to like a thousand years later and like archaeologists like digging up like my bones and, <laughs> and then guessing that I was like some important person because I seem to be in a throne of some sort. Uh, so <laughs> like, they go over the tapes from the day before and they see that the, you know, all the students and everybody coming in uh, and Batgirl starts putting it together and she's like, they're, they're watching it and they're like, there's no way with like all the students in the room how could he have done this? She says something. He'd have to be excellent sleight of hand artist. And second, he'd have to somehow make sure that none of his students were alert enough. And in that moment, she puts it together that like he in the in the fake robbery or the fake murder in the beginning of the issue, he was like, oh, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon are paying attention. We'll get those idiots out of here and we'll take my dumb class to go visit the MacGuffin pistols. Yeah, yeah, Bar- Barbara Barbara had the realization that like the rest of my classmates are fucking morons. Oh my god. <laughs> so we get into act 3 and the professor has the the guns and also we find out he has some diamonds and he meets with his fence, his fence comes to him, his connection well, to to offload these things. 
Yeah, because it was the diamonds that was the real thing that he was hired to steal, right? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's hired to steal these diamonds, but he gets cold feet. He wants to give the diamonds back. He wants to, you know, be be done with this. And more goons come in and the real fence comes in, not just his connection. And they're like, how about you just give us everything and we take all the profit and you can heck off. And then Batgirl and, and Robin come in essentially to like bust the professor. And then they're like, give it up, Morton. You're the you're dot dot dot. And then they realize, oh, there's a room full of thugs here. <laughs> Like, this is not what we expected. We expected one nonviolent professor and it's like a room full of armed men. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just love how immediately, you know, Barbara being Barbara gets the professor out of the way because she still doesn't know exactly what's going yeah. on. And then, yeah. and, and then fucking Dick Grayson just dodges two bullets and then just full, just like with a wind up uppercuts a guy. Yeah. Which I just yeah. love that action. Love that action. So yeah, much cracks fun. that dude. You turn the page and it's just Dick Grayson running house doing what oh, he yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. Just cleaning up just with precision too. He's not like, yeah, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to take this gun. Going to break. Yeah. Your he's jaw. Got, there's a, there's a panel where he's like hitting a guy in the face with his left hand and taking his gun with his right hand. Yeah. So good. The action again, no matter what in this, even if it's not at like in the top tier of, of this series, like the action is still always very, very right good. up there. Very yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Barbara Gordon's uh, with the professor and, and she's like, just stay down. This will be over dot dot dot. And she's like, Morton. And he's like running out the back back way. I, I, I do. I want to say I do appreciate, too, because, yeah, he's running out the back. And I immediately clocked and love this little detail of how Probeck just dots for eyes, just blank yeah. face, dots for blank eyes, face, because dots he's for eyes, sca- like eyebrows up, scared as hell. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's just such it's like, yep, that's such a great, great lesson, kids. If you want to make uh, your own comics, um, a lot of times way, way less is more, you know, like a lot of times you yeah. don't need to do a whole lot to show. And that's part of the beauty of it to really have a good like, oh, the professor real scared getting the hell out of here. And yeah, I want him manga, in the background. Manga does this all the time. Yeah, there there will be full sized, high detailed characters right next to like screaming little chibi versions of them. In I the love next that panel or yeah. like manga does a thing where they'll put like. If you're not sure who's talking, they'll put a little like literal head in the word balloon just to like be like, hey, heads up. Like, here's a little icon of this character. You know, one one of my favorite comic facts is uh, the origin of the nosebleed. You know about the nosebleed? I I know about the nosebleed. I don't know the origin. What is the origin? So apparently the reason why in manga and in anime when a character. So if you know the trope, the trope is that a character will get a nosebleed when they're getting a bit too uh, frisky, a bit too sexually excited. They'll get a nosebleed. And apparently it ties to uh, Japanese people um, are there's uh, a lot of them have problems with high blood pressure. Oh, Uh, you know, for like, you know, some people just genetically like their fan. And apparently that's a fairly common ish thing in Japan. This is just something that I heard. 
edge, but it sounds right to me, you know? So like this, sure. and, and, and so the idea being that like you have high blood pressure anyway, and then like suddenly you get a little horned up and then like, that'll, you know, trigger send it even higher and like, yeah, yeah trigger, yeah. trigger a nosebleed, which I just, I That's just funny. loved. Yeah. And just like the, <laughs> Man, we talk about hyperspecificity on the show a lot and like because well that's our show. Uh, yeah. But like uh I I I just love that cultural hyper specificity thing. Like yeah. I, I would have yeah. had no I like I only knew from context why in in a manga like you you know it's the nosebleed means that. You know, sure. I I, sure. I get that from context, but like the yeah, the deeper cultural thing I'd no idea. But yeah, professor, so, uh, run, professor running yeah, away, professor running away, daddling. gets into his office, gets the guns, right? And he's, he points one at Batgirl. He's like, stop right there. Without these guns as evidence, they'll never convict me. I don't want to do it, but I will go through you. And Batgirl calls him on his bluff. She's like, you're not going to shoot me. I can't believe that you do that because she knows him. He doesn't know it, but she knows him. And he's like, you're right. He puts the gun down. And he kind of like confesses to everything. He's got the diamonds in the handle of the, the, the guns, which we saw him messing with in the first act. And he's like, I, you know, I didn't even really want to do this. It was just like he's he kind of got like let his academic mind of criminology kind of go too far, basically. Like he yeah. thought about this stuff and he's like, I wonder if I could do it and tried it out. And he's like in over his head and he's like, please let me escape. Let me have my freedom. And, she, and Barbara's like, I'd like to, but I can't. I'm sorry. I'm not wearing a badge, but this suit might as well be. You know, she has respect for. You know what they do, the crime fighting, too much respect for the crime fighting to even though this guy isn't necessarily a quote unquote bad guy. Yeah, it's like he did the thing. He's going yeah. to jail. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and he's quietly resigned to his fate, you know. Right. Right. And I, I, we, I enjoyed that it wasn't um, a drawn out, uh, you know, you're not going to do this sort of thing. Right. Because right. again, especially right. within within the limited um, time that they had, you know, you, right. Nicely you always knew the professor wasn't supposed to be a bad guy. So you have to yeah. like, okay, really quickly show that like, yeah, he was never really a threat. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very quickly in and out, got everything that you needed in that scene. And we turn the page to get to the last one. And it's little, uh, little Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson hanging out, eating lunch, like getting on each other's nerves. And uh, Dick Grayson's like, Batgirl single handedly brought Dr. Bart Morton to justice. And he's like, man, she's amazing. And, she, and Barbara's like, yes, very intriguing. I'm leaving now. Like just just over it. And uh Dick Grayson's like going to criminology 101. Uh, let me know what the substitute teacher's like. And Barbara's like, I dropped it. And he's like, he's like, you dropped it. Why'd you drop it? And she's like, well, I might still go join the academy after graduation, but I've been thinking about other options. I really like research analysis and that part of criminology more than actually like the gory bits of criminology. And when she's saying that, there's a man in the background carrying a book that says Oracle on it, yeah. which I thought was kind of nice. Yeah, I clocked that too. That was that was really cute. That was really good. So she's like, maybe I could do something along those lines. And he's like, uh, Dick Grayson's like, well, I wouldn't set my my hopes too high if I were you. He's like, I mean, 
you may have been the second best student in criminology 101, but you're no bat girl. And she's like about to throw a pizza at him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the last Batgirl and Robin issue it ended with her about to throw something at Dick Grayson <laughs> as well. Yep, yep. Like, yeah, again, just yeah, just wonderful. And also just, you know, I, I will forever bring up uh, Jim Starkings and and the uh uh, the the lettering, you know, and the the yeah. the, the very much uh, theme that he has to the to the act titles and the badges and stuff is just really cool good. to see the the whole thing so, top to bottom. You're right; it was it was it was a banger of an issue. It was it was definitely yeah, this issue was a banger, and I'm so happy because like I know we talked about the last issue in the last pod. Yeah, I was a like, little worried. Ah, I feel like getting a little worried feel like we're losing a little gas in the tank last couple last like four weren't that great i was like uh, uh. i i am ready to eat a little humble pie and admit that this issue was a banger maybe they still got some gas in the tank they just got to find find the right circumstances find the right line you know and get there it's sort of like and i haven't rewatched them in a bit because i haven't had a netflix subscription in a while but it's it's kind of like you know what I consider to be some of like the uh, the golden era of episodic uh, American television and like Star Trek: The Next Generation, where yeah. some of the episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, especially after season two, when they really figure out kind of the, right, the sort right. of general vibe of the show, are just like so so good. But then there'll be like four or five that are like they're pretty good. They're watchable. They're right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you'll Star Trek. Yeah, you, Star Trek's you know, always like that. I'm watching uh, DS9 right now for oh um, yeah, for work basically because I'm working on a DS9 comic and I'll just put yeah. it on and and kind of catch an episode. And there'll be somewhere I'm just like, ugh, this episode is a slog to get through. And then the next episode I'll be like, absolute banger, just a great episode. Yeah, yeah. So and and I think that makes it like the because even the ones that are like sort of like not that um. Batman Adventures has ever been a slog, but like even the ones that like weren't as as good, I think I just always sort of like the ones that were so good. There were so many of them that I'm just like in yeah, a you, row you, too. Like yeah, the first ten are just like so good that you, yeah, that it makes you be it sets the bar so stupid high. Well, and and then the next ten after that were like you know yeah. like still really like, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think I, 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 I had a bit more, uh, I had a bit more faith, uh, than, than you did, but I, I will, I will admit that there is like, I haven't started rereading it yet, but, um, star, I had put Starman when we, um, I forgot what episode we brought up, um, uh, Tony Harris and Ron Mars and like that. Yeah. Like, we were talking awesome about, uh, zero Starman hour movie. and how uh, Starman came out of zero hour. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, was that Ron Mars on Starman or was that, um, uh, I don't think, I think it was Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I, I was thinking about how long that series is and how from my memory of it, you know, it was, it was a deliberately weird superhero book. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it was ever like gangbusters popular, but I think it was popular enough and critically acclaimed enough at the same time that like DC was probably like, all right, fine. We can keep it going. Like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll leave these little weirdos to their weird comic book and we'll just let them go. 
Yeah, but I also think that like in in comic books, and I and I think maybe some of your like worry might have been from coming from a professional side is that like, and you do see it happen all the time, like a book runs long enough, and like comic books don't traditionally have an end unless like the book isn't selling well or superhero right, comics anyway right. don't have a tradition, and so like you are kind of prone to just sort of petering out a bit, you know, right. of like. Like people forget that like before I, and I do hate this term, but like before the era of like, you know, a golden era of prestige TV, like if you had a hit on a smaller network, like Breaking Bad, it was like, oh no, this shit's going for like eight seasons or until like people stop watching. But, yeah, right. you know, but the, but the creators were like, no, 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 this, we, this story has a definite end and we're ending it, you know, which before yeah. like those kind of shows, like didn't, didn't I mean, really you look happen at something all that like, often. You look at something like Lost. Lost is a perfect example of like, oh, this is accidentally a runaway hit. So instead of doing three seasons, we're going to do six or eight or whatever. And then they stretch yeah. it out and it gets kind of like convoluted. And yeah. like, but people are still watching and then it eventually kind of peters out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think uh, comic books can be sort of prone to that. And like, maybe that was sort of like your your worry oh, of like, yeah. oh, are we are we getting to the point where they got to the, uh, what issue are we on now? 26? 26. So like, yeah, you're like, oh, we're we got 10 from 20, the end. Yeah, we're 26 issues in and the last five have been sort of okay. You know, it's like, oh, I think, you know, because it's like, hey, yeah. that's a great run even up to like all of just right. the yeah. like. It's it's years of comics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, like I. The, the stuff was just so good. I was like, they, they have to come back. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah. there, there has to be like some other groove they're going to, they're going to find. I meant to say too, I think that this, this whole thing has turned me into a Kelly Puckett fan. Um, Kelly Puckett writing these books. He wrote a couple of the zero hour tie-ins or maybe one of the zero hour tie-ins that I really liked. And I was like, oh shit, Kelly Puckett over here doing also some good work. I was like, maybe yeah. he's doing good work across the board. So I, you know, I he, don't know. I, I should look out for more of his stuff because he has such a, uh, he has such a great handle on dialogue, which I think, right. I think up until, uh, Bendis sort of became Bendis because of that. Right. In I, like think 2001, in, I think in 2000. Yeah. 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 I think in popular comics, it wasn't, it's not like there was so much dialogue that was like awful or like some of it was even good. Some writers were still really good with it, but like, I don't think in superhero books it was paid as much attention to until after sure, people saw sure. how how popular the style that Bendis yeah. brought was was like doing to like oh no like look how much fun you can have and look how much like characterization you can get just through dialogue and it doesn't have to be exposition right. you know um and Kelly Puckett seems to be very very good at that because you know, as yeah. we talk about with Barbara like it's like, yeah, her being like a yellow lab is like you can tell and like just the words she's saying yeah, of how much she wants to please and how excited she is to see people. You and, feel the energy in the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And it's again and bring it back to like, you know, show don't tell. It's like, yeah, I don't need a thought box of like, you know, five paragraphs, Todd McFarlane, like telling me like how tortured the character is. Wow. You know, calling out Todd like that. Wow. Oh, yeah. Jason. Yeah, just because you write a lot of words doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, that, that's true. That is true. Yeah. You want to hit the letters column? I will punch them straight in the face. Please don't, Jason. 
Uh, did any letter jump out to you? No, because you forgot to send them to me. No, I definitely t- did. I send them to you. I thought. No, I, I think. No, I think you were just too crazed Fuck. by uh, by I, what we're going to talk about on the to read pile. I took the photos to send to you, and then just didn't send them. That's my fault. That's my ADD. Uh, no, and plus, I think like you were, uh, you were, you were a little faded out of your head. Yes, we'll get into that in the to read pile. Um, partly the thing that that made me realize that uh, uh, maybe I didn't send these to you is because none of the letters are good. Oh, it's just well. it's uh, which is kind of a bummer because um, in a weird twist of fate, let me let me read the intro. Let me read the intro to the letters column. Lisa Peterson here, having recently promised to love, honor, and pinch hit for a certain editor till death do us part, I get to take over the letters column this month while said editor is off gallivanting with husbands of Marifin O'Neill, Elma Dixon, Sue Grant, Debbie Munch, uh, Francine Vincenzo, and Amy Gorfinkel. Haha, <laughs> mine at last. So... Scott Peterson's wife is actually responding to the uh, letters in this column, which is super fun. Yeah, all, the, all fun. the letters were pretty much just like, hey, I like the Two Face issue. It was good. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was just standard. Yeah. yeah. And they're also not a whole lot of letters. Like they're just like four or five very long ones. So it's like, to take a long walk to just say, hey, I really like the issue is like not worth really bringing to the pod, unfortunately. Yeah, it's more it's more fun when there's the novelty letters and, you know, people really I always love seeing. Um, I always loved it when, you know, they ran the monthly contest in letters columns yeah. to encourage people to write and like just seeing like people's big swings. And right, like, you know, try, right. tr- trying to make themselves look different. Like it's always at least produces something like entertaining to. to, to yeah, read. there's there's a through line through this letters column about Twinkies, but like uh, it's <laughs> not worth getting into. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, Jason, let me hit you with the stinger for the oh, next issue. I'm getting stung. Next issue. I haven't the faintest idea. Personally, I've never read the next issue blurb because I like to be surprised. Lisa Peterson. <laughs> very that's good. A great, very that's very a great excited to, to be surprised for the next issue. Do you want to hit the two read pile? Yeah. Hey, if you're listening to this on the podcast, know that there is extra to read pile, unedited, unsupervised, off the chain. The the to read pile at night. On the, on the YouTube, youtube.com slash Nick Phil, if you want to check it out, those go up every Wednesday. Otherwise, Jason. Nick, what are you reading? I'm kind of in the middle of a few things at the moment. I'm thankfully really starting the getting better at the baby steps I've been taking or bigger steps to get myself back up to the point and hopefully past of my, how much reading I used to do. Um, yeah. but I am bringing a classic. It's very much a favorite of mine. I think probably a favorite of ours. He's definitely a favorite artist of ours. It was really influential on us as a young, I'm on pins and needles yo- what is as, it? as younger artists and someone who I, from the very first time I saw his artwork to me in a hot, 
my highest compliments that I, in my head, I pay to an artist is I go, oh, fuck, if I could draw like that, it'd be so goddamn cool. Like, I'd feel like the yeah. coolest person if I could draw like that. And so what I'm bringing to the two read pile is uh, the one trick ripoff. Hell yeah. Paul Pope Paul, in the Paul house. Pope, man. It was a, yeah, only Paul. a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. The one trick ripoff. And this is the the hardcover deep cuts edition, of course, being a, a super fan of Paul Pope. Anytime yeah. there's uh, a, a reprint of, you know, extra have, artwork have- and both trades i have the the slim trade one trick ripoff that came out and then i have that deep cut hardcover that you have right there yeah and man like i still will always be amazed at uh so paul pope actually and i know i've talked about on on the pod before but uh was a recipient of uh the zentric grant uh prize Mm -hmm. uh for thb uh, which he self-published with that money. Uh, everyone, again, look up Centric Grant and its history. Uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, fucking legends. Love you guys, yep. always. Yep. Um, and so, like, yeah, that's where, you know, Paul Pope with, with THB, you know, and and just from, like, out the gate, out the, like, he was, like, 19, I think, when THB was, was first, but, like, he's really mm-hmm. young. <laughs> and just out the gate, like, oh, this this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. And, and what I mean, like out the gate too, is like out the gate, just already having your own style that is so already uniquely yours while also sort of very obviously showing like your influences and the things that you'd like, but just, ha- just immediately having your own recognizable style. It sometimes takes people like 10 to 20 years to even like, like yeah. look at, look at the wonderful evolution of uh, John, John Ram, uh, Ramita Jr., which I he's yeah. I I love, but like his evolution from when he first started to his stuff in the '90s to like he got like looser and looser and more and more like Kirby, you know, and yeah. then more and more just his own. Oh, that's JRJR. But like, right with Paul Pope, it's just um, you're just immediately like, oh, that's Paul Pope. And with yeah, and with the one trick ripoff too, it's like it's like a heist story, love story set in this weird future. And there's just weird, fun names and slang and technology and just everything is just so like I always um, even though their styles are artistically different, I always associate Paul Pope with like Mobius because like their worlds that they draw are just uh, are teeming. It's always teeming with just like stuff and things and people and activity and action. I would I would compare them both in like. The way that Mobius draws tech is uniquely Mobius. Like nobody else, even if you try to draw Mobius stuff, like you don't end up at the same level as him. And I would say the same thing with Paul Pope, like all his tech feels like liquidy and like it's it's like balancing in space almost like it, it doesn't have like weight to it in a way that makes it feel like ethereal almost. Yeah. Um. And I've only seen him do it. Like he just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so uh, the one trick ripoff. I mean, I could honestly like uh, probably recommend just about any Paul Pope book. But one trick ripoff. This and no, actually, it's yeah. The one one trick ripoff is pretty much my. I think my favorite of his. Yeah, which is big kind of hard. Of heavy liquid as well. Heavy liquid heavy. and one hundred percent. Also, both really yep. great. He did yeah. a Batman story, a Batman Year One Hundred. Yep. That was like also great. 
I think like I wasn't emotionally ready for it when it came out, like because it's so different. And I had such like a hard view of what Batman was that like this thing that was so different. I just couldn't wrap my brain around, so I didn't really like it at first. Uh, Yeah. But now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, this is fun as hell. But I greatly admire admired Paul Pope's career because he very clearly has been able to just sort of like do exactly what he wants. Yeah. Without having to be like, oh, well, fine, I guess I'll take like this job on like this book or something that I don't really like because they're going to pay me a lot of money, which especially over the years, he probably could have like, you know, had his agent or whoever, you know, probably contact one of the big two and be like, yeah. hey, he wants to draw Spider-Man and could have gotten some like, you know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, great. Here's right. You know, all, but but he's like, no, nah, I'm kind of good doing the stuff that interests me, which he I can. He reminds I just, me of James Jean in that way where they're yeah. they both they both kind of like straddle this line between like fine art and comics yeah. where they like. You can tell that they're doing comics because they love doing comics that like the real paychecks they're getting is like like Paul Pope did art for like the Macy's like storefront in New York City. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like he's he's working at a level of commercial art that I'm sure pays far more for far less hassle than comic books do. But he loves doing comics and he loves he especially like I don't know if you follow him on uh, uh, Twitter or Instagram, but he'll like he'll post like OMAC drawings that he's done and stuff like that. Like you could tell that he just like he just loves comic books. Oh, yeah. Like remember when he uh, and I've never actually checked this out, but uh, he loves comic books so much and loves Japanese comic books so much that he actually was able to um, try for a little while. I think he gotten um is it called, are they all called Shonen magazines? Like the collections, like the phone book size collections they have. I guess. Over there. I, I mean, I know Shonen Jump is a company. I don't know if they're all called Shonens or not. Yeah, but he did try his hand at making a Japanese comic. Like. Oh, yeah. Making it, like writing, drawing it. Like, yeah, in yeah, and yeah, trying yeah. it in the Japanese market, like himself. I think he'd be, and, I think he'd be too fucking weird for the Japanese market. I also don't think he would be fast enough to be able to keep that, up with any kind true. of, Fuck, you know, man. yeah, but, but that again, he's not, like, he's not the kind of artist who's going to be like, Hey, I'll, I'll draw these pages really fast because I'll have six assistants. It's like, no, there's only one Paul Pope. Like he, he does not, he's not yeah. a person that has assistants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I still can't remember how that worked out, but just, again, just talking about people who just have such a great love for, the medium it's like yeah he wasn't doing that for the money like he didn't think he would be right. getting like some big paycheck out of it it's just that he loves comic books he loved japanese comic books he loves the whole culture around japanese comic books and he's like i i want to see if i can i want to see what this is like i want to see right yeah, and, I, yeah. and i have this and i have enough of a name that i can i can parlay it into getting in the room with some editors and you know do yeah just yeah, taking yeah. a chance and like just absolutely yeah, love man. it but yeah the the one trick ripoff, specifically deep cuts, hardcover. Yeah. Paul Pope. Man. I, man, we've brought up a couple of times about rereading some stuff. Um, mm. Paul Pope is definitely on my short list to reread because I, I feel like I haven't 
given it a read in a long time and I'm a different person now than when I was in my 20s when I was like really eating up a lot of Paul Pope stuff. And uh, I kind of I'm curious as to like what I would pull out of the Paul Pope stuff now compared to my 20s. Yeah, there's definitely the being old. Whenever I reread Paul Pope stuff like over the years, it it definitely is, is just more of a growing appreciation of just how amazing it is that he's able to to do what he does yeah and how there's like again like he came out even though i say like you know he came out fully realized but there's still this evolution you know there's still it's not like his stories were like perfect or anything but his his stories themselves have gotten just so much better and clearer there's obviously been an obvious evolution to his art but just yeah just so distinctly him like it's just so cool when you see absolutely an artist be like so distinctly him like you know what like give give wes anderson as much shit as you want but i fucking love it man i eat it up all the time because it's so because nobody else can do what he does and if they do it's parody you know and and that's what i love about paul pope it's like sure that he has influenced people but like you can tell that like it's just a little bit of stylistically and you you know and then they start going into their own thing because you just can't you just can't you know, you yeah. can't replicate it. Yeah. You know, it's so great. What do you, what do you been, what you've been, you've been reading you little bookworm. Jason, you know, the, have you seen the meme of like the possum sitting in the trash can and he's yelling, stay away from my garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I love that little possum. That's, that's how I've been living my life, Jason. <laughs> that's oh, that's what I bring to the to read pile. These, uh, books i don't know you have to be in a certain mindset to jump into what i'm about to recommend all right all right what i what i read this okay Uh, full disclosure paul pope upper echelon of comics like oh yeah an artist's artist yeah some michelin star rated stuff fantastic work i bought a bunch of books i bought the akira box set i bought the akira box set I was like, I'm going to read these. I'm excited about it. You know what I didn't do? Read the Akira box set. You know what I did read? Something better? I read. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's an important distinction. <laughs> Want to be very clear up front. Very clear up front. I read the first 19 issues of Fate, which is the Dr. Fate reboot that happens after zero hour because fans hated it. And I needed to know why, <laughs> because I have a sickness, Jason. <laughs> you, you do. You were sending me. You're sending me the panels. You're sending okay, me some choice. Let me, let me explain, some choice let panels. Let me explain the Doctor Fate reboot. Okay. All right. So when right, you think uh, of Doctor settling Fate, in, settling in. When we think of Doctor Fate, Helm communicates with his God of Order. Nabu is is stoic and aloof, uh, learned learned man wielding magic and and keeping balance and order in the universe that's dr fate they decided to reboot dr fate and i didn't know this but the previous dr fate was actually two people it was a couple within the helmet it was two consciousness and nabu like hanging out it was a husband and wife team which i thought was like really cool and i was like oh man i kind of want to read some of those that's not what i read a husband and wife team with a third, so they're a thruple. 
They're so a they were yes. They were Dr. really Fate progressive before this was a thruple. Yes. Yeah. So so they were poly in the '90s, which is you know it's really progressive. Yes. Good for them. Exactly. So this new Doctor Fate, he's he's not these things, and in fact, he's kind of a big dummy. He is a antiquities black market dealer who has a penchant for knife throwing. <laughs> so he's okay. Let me explain. Let me, let me break down the origin. So also well, I'm, I'm already having a hard time figuring out why fans didn't like it. Like, so, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he's, he's got the Dr. Fate stuff The the Dr. Fate, um, died in zero hour his helm his amulet and his uh cape got like dumped into the time stream and this guy is hired by his ex-wife's father-in-law his his ex-father-in-law basically his ex-wife's dad to go like find these antiquities and bring them back this is what this guy does for work you know so okay well so fair that his ex-wife's dad called him then you know yeah like, but also like this whole book is full of like how do we tie these characters together let's just lash them together with everything you know just, so there's just marriages some brothers some so dr fate or, or this guy and his name is jared and he goes by jared a lot when he's dressed like jock dr fate which is <laughs> fucking weird so he's like 90s ripped okay let me just okay i'm getting ahead of myself he is dealing with these antiquities and he's with these like two gun runners on like a private cocaine plane that's like shuttling cocaine and he's shuttling his illegal artifacts. Right. And then mm-hmm. the plane lands and there's like an explosion and there's like creatures, these monsters who want to like get at the Dr. Fate stuff before like it can change hands or whatever. He grabs the amulet and one of the monsters the the plane explodes the guys die you know he's knife throwing it's it's an introduction to him he learned from like a nicaraguan like uh freedom fighter about like how to knife throw he's a he's a traveled man okay very worldly very worldly very worldly and i can't stress this enough extremely dumb as well (laughs) like just just head empty only stab so he Goes to grab the amulet. The creature like grabs his whole. He's got this big meaty paw, grabs his whole hand, crushes him with the amulet. In it. The amulet explodes. Right. So he basically his body like ingests this like shrapnel of the amulet. And then he gets an onk over his eye. Right. So then he has an onk over his eye and the onk lets him see the other world, like see like Dr. Fate. And then. In this whole whole fisticuffs, he also has his like arm gets like burnt up or something like it gets fucked up. So he takes the the magical cape of Dr. Fate and just rips it up so that he can create bandages that go around his arm so that his arm is like healing from the bandages. And we're going to get into how this evolves in a second. And then he's like he he walks away with the helm. He doesn't put the helm on. Right. So he walks away. And he meets his conspiracy theorist buddy who's like running like he's basically like on the net. Like he knows all the conspiracies. He's and he's like, uh, you know, I got this whole thing. And he's like, whoa, Nabu's like a fucking 
big time like in the lord of uh, order like this is a big deal you gotta like he convinces buddy convinces him you gotta put the helmet on and talk to nabu like as to like what this whole shit and the guy's like i don't want any of this you know he's like i was happy just ru- smuggling artifacts like i don't, yeah. I don't want this yeah, I'm a big dumb idiot. I didn't go to school for this. I went to school for how to right. smuggle artifacts. Come on. So he so he puts the helm on and Nabu's like, you're my chosen warrior. And he's like fucking nuts to that. And he like bounces out. Right. So he takes in this like spiritual place where he tells Nabu to fuck off. He like. Dips his hand into like this melting pot, melts down the helmet, right? Turns it into a fucking knife. <laughs> So the helm of fate is now a dagger and then like a uh, piece of armor, a wristband piece of armor and a shoulder piece of armor. And he makes also tiny onk throwing daggers as well. And then he has like a buck knife. That's like the helm of fate. Jason fans hated this. Fans hated this. And if you are going to read this. The first five issues are a slog. They kind of set up this bad guy and he's trying to funnel creatures from another dimension into into this dimension and he needs these artifacts to do it. And the helm is one of those artifacts. And now that it's gone, he has to use Dr. or Fate's uh, the doctor's out. It's it's no more. It's no more Dr. Fate. It's just. Fate. Yeah, because he's because he's idiot. Head <laughs> he's MD, not an only he's, stab. He's not he's he's not an MD or a Ph.D. No, no. Head empty, only stab. They need his ex-wife as like a power source to power this like gateway. But the thing is, is like this is like two issues of story and they stretch it out to five. And it's it's just terrible to read. It's terrible to read. However, issue six is where it picks up is where it picks up and it starts. They start to like slowly over the course of this run, they start to realize Hey, this guy's actually fun. You know, like we can do some fun stuff. You he's know, a like, big dumb idiot. I can do. I can a have big, fun with a big, big dumb, dumb idiot. idiot in the Dr. Fate canon, you yeah. know, of like the smartest, like magical people on Earth. Like he he Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern. His ring was crushed in zero hour. He comes back as what's his name now? Sentinel. And he's has this like green fire that's magical based in him now and fucking hates fate like hates him because he was like good friends with the previous Dr. Fate and he's like how could they trust you you're a fucking idiot there's this great panel where he's like he's like fate is reading the omens and he's like he's like oh I can tell that something bad happened here I'm reading the omens and Sentinel's like I didn't know you could read. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's just very good. Well, I, uh, he, he goes through this whole thing, Jason, he's got one mode and it's stab. That's it. That's how he solves every single fucking problem. If there, there are these elaborate magical problems and he's like, can we stab it? That's it. Well, and, and what's so disappointing to me, and I know this is me Monday morning quarterbacking a bit, but like, if you want to turn Dr. Fate into a knife guy, I right. get it. It's the nineties. You want to be literally edgy, but his name is Dr. Fate. His powers have to do with 
wisdom and fate and balance and like deciding right. justice and things like that. How about like a reference to the sword of Damocles, man? It's a really famous. No, Jason, old, that's too old smart. Reference. We can't. No, no, he, no. He, he, you know what I Head mean? Head empty, like, only stab. So issue but, six is where the good stuff comes in. Issue six is a one shot where his online conspiracy theorist friend, he's like, okay, I found somebody that's going to help us figure this stuff out, you know? And he, he's got six gigs of every spell and every thing uh, like on his hard drive. And he's going to help us sort this out. Right. So they go to a house, right. And the, the, yeah, six gigs of spells. Um, so great. It's, the issue is called Grimoire Programmed for Horror. And they go to the house and everyone's like, this house is great. This host is, you know, wonderful. Like he's he's given us cups of tea. You know, he's very considerate and nice. What what they don't see is that with his fate eye, he sees that it's all an illusion. It's like a walking zombie. There's feeding them like maggots in a cup. You know, and he's like, so he's just like smacking the the tea out of the hand. And he's like, don't drink that. Nobody touch anything, you know, like <laughs> fucking freaking out. And then we come to realize that the, the zombie was created by the computer. The computer has so much fucking magic in it that like it has come to life and it is running this house. And OK, that sucks. F- fate, fate and his friend into the computer at one point. Fate fights his way out and then stabs the hell out of the computer. <laughs> it's that very is good. That's it's actually good. that's actually very, very fun of like what would happen if a computer had legitimately like a fuck ton of magic spells on it. It's like, oh, it would right, become self-aware right. and it would start using the magic because right, you know, it's, it's right. magic's chaotic um, and blah blah blah. Or that's fate that's very goes fun. on fate goes on to like get confronted by like uh phantom stranger and a bunch of other magical people in the the dcu he kind of like runs their trials but instead he just like tells them to fuck off and starts stabbing basically (laughs) jason i can't it's so good it's so good bad here's the here's the thing so like i'm reading this thing and it's all very stupid the entire time incredibly stupid right yeah and he's he's stabbing his way. By the way, his arm, the bandages keep him from like losing the arm, but they're not necessarily like healing him. At, it turns into like the bandages loosen, and then his arm starts having like fleshy, hairy, bony like tentacles coming out with like an eye in the palm. It like turns into like a Cronenberg like horror situation oh. Oh, God, which is like actually super fucking fun oh like, yeah because I love love David Cronenberg I still I still but, have to watch his new one but like this is the thing is that like this is super fun yeah if you came here for Dr. Fate this is not Dr. Fate like yeah I could see I could see why the fans I mean obviously just from the stuff you sent me i could see why people who had been fans of dr fate would be like what the hell is this yeah what the fuck is this yeah Uh, like his whole thing is like so he tackles a lot of magical problems but he himself is immune to magic so like his whole hook is like 
magic comes after him. It doesn't affect him. And then he stabs whatever it is. And that's like, that's it. And this, this whole thing suffers from a lot of problems that nineties books had, which was like, I read 19 issues of Dr. Fate. What's the force that drives him? What does he like? What does he dislike? What is he trying to achieve? I don't know any of that. All I know yeah. is he's got a knife and he's going to stab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a hollow, big, big character yeah. and immediately violent. Okay. It, you, you know, let me, let me, uh, let me paint you my, cause I know that most people aren't going to read this and you probably shouldn't read fate. You probably shouldn't read 19 issues of fate. It only ran for 22. I'm almost done. The art in places kind of fucking great. Like every once in a while you'll have like the artist, um, will have this like glimmer of like a brilliant layout or a brilliant idea. But the the thing is, is that this book is swinging so hard all the time that it's like, oh, he got like one of 10 ideas like (laughs) really hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you know what you know what I love about uh, comic books? It's it's that there's this sort of like old joke of uh, of people who are like super into jazz will like have these Mm -hmm. like sort of like favorite songs that are done by a really obscure musician on like a really obscure live recording of some jazz standard from like 80 years ago and only like four other guys like even know who this guy is and the guy isn't even that good but they like the way he plays one he certain a, thing. One specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's this is exactly what I mean. So in the weeds of comics that I'm like, yeah, oh, that that's pretty good. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, you're pretty much like my only friend who reads comic books because I still thankfully have a few friends who do read comic books, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. you're you're my only friend who reads comics who will have like any close to any idea what I may be talking about. Most of the time you do. But yeah. like. Even sometimes like the stuff that you don't know, you at least have like some sort of like general knowledge of and, you know, it can it can feel it can feel really, really nice. Um, But but yeah, but I do um, even after I just brought that up because like even after your like recommendation of, okay, I can't in good faith tell you this is a good book. Yeah, but you will have fun. And but then also getting really excited about not all of. Because you just said it's not a good right. book, but still, there are still some parts of the art where you're like, fuck yeah, man. Fuck yeah. That's that's doing yeah, it for yeah. me. I, I'm sure that when we put together this for YouTube, I'm going to be like posting a ton of art because it's like some of it's so fucking weird and great. Yeah. Uh, so, OK. To close out the the conversation of doctor of not doctor, the doctor's out. That's the hook of the thing. When they were promoting it, yeah. they were like. <laughs> They were like, here's a here's a guy covered in knives and the doctor is out, you know, yeah, because this guy was not accepted to medical school. OK, no, no. Jason, mm. let me tell you about what school he was accepted to. Oh, boy. This part, this part fucked me up, Jason. And, <laughs> and we're going to get to this. We're going to get to this in a minute where like I by the end, I kind of came around and I was like, but I, but I hold similar beliefs to Dr. Did, fate, to this did, terrible fate comic. Did he did he uh, go to Sarah Lawrence? Is that is that no, supposed okay, to be okay. the. All right. OK, so. Fate gets uh, uh, I don't he's like uh, held hostage or something or, or he's poisoned. I can't really remember, but he's, he's, he's in a predicament. He's fine. He finds himself. On a on a plane 
a private plane um, because the cocaine guy that he was using the other plane for in his origin is pissed that his plane exploded. You know what I mean? So they like, round up this fate asshole and like, you know, like, let's let's, you know, do what we need to do. Right. Yeah. We're cocaine dealers. Um, we don't take this, this kind this, of shit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This uh, this one's called Gone South. Uh, it is. Let me let me find the issue number 16. I actually really like this, these uh, couple of uh, issues. But he goes, fate goes in and like talks about like in flashback, like how he met this cocaine dealer and it is unhinged, Jason. So he's like not really smuggling artifacts yet. He's like a young man. He's in the punk scene. He's in this like shithole bar and uh, he get walks into the bathroom and there's three thugs beating up this other guy and they're like you know get lost white boy like this is our problem and that fate comes in and he's like back off jerkweed and like starts like punching you know like gets in there t- takes out a knife of course of course like threatens to stab a dude and he's like whatever you say it's cool and then here let me read the um next couple next couple of panels because it takes a turn right? All right so they're they're running out of this shithole bar they're both like punks clearly both not the first time they're fighting pulls a knife on a guy he's like our feet didn't touch the ground on the way out of there Th- the one guy's like thanks man he's like oh it's nothing i just didn't like the odds in there and he's like i'm jared they they catch up in the next panel i'm jared ricky and and then the caption boxes who would have figured that a few years later we'd both be at harvard <laughs> <laughs> so so they go to harvard Okay, they go to Harvard and uh, they're roommates together. You know, they go to this party and the party's got a fuck ton of cocaine at it. This Harvard party. And like, yeah, he's like, I found out later that was Ricky's first and last taste of cocaine. He never touched the stuff again, but he quit college and he went into dealing full time. Not not long after, I guess he knew a growth industry when he saw one. So it's like this absolutely unhinged arc for the two of them but then but then (laughs) i turn the page fuck do my beliefs align with this weird cocaine fate comic that i'm reading because he's like less than admirable sure but don't let anybody fool you kid all money's dirty money and i'm like fuck (laughs) fuck jason (laughs) well well, I mean, I mean, it is. And also, like, you know, if they if they had really wanted to, which like, I mean, you know, to be fair, this is a 90s, you know, edgy superhero grimdark book. But like, right. You know, right. There, there, there is like, it, l- let me tell you something, folks, you don't have to be smart to go to Harvard. You know, I could, I could list off like four or five different like Harvard graduates and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess you don't really have to be all that smart to get a fucking degree from there, you know, so maybe like mm-hmm. lose the sheen mm-hmm. off of it. But uh, I also do love the insane, just that insane origin of oh, not yeah. only knife fight to Harvard to cocaine drug runner. Yeah, <laughs> n- knife fight in a shitty bar. And then, hey, we're both going to Harvard. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, because people on track go to Harvard, like tend to like hang out in fucking places like this all the goddamn time. Yeah, yeah. like, dude, ah. Uh. The cocaine so, thing I get. 
The cocaine so like, thing, I think, is a so funny like criminal they, origin story. But once they yeah. start to like lean into the absolute insanity that they can get away with. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm on board. But it takes them like six issues to get there. It takes them yeah. a while to get there. The The issue goes on to have his friend Ricky, who's running this cocaine operation, poisons him with uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms and then chases him with a dagger through an Aztec temple that the cocaine dealer made in order to replicate uh, a order and chaos gods thing that like Ricky didn't know he was part of, but he's turning it into a blood sacrifice because he needs fate to die in such a way to like become this god of chaos, uh, this cocaine god of chaos. That's okay. Jason, yeah. It's, it's very good. I, I might, good. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to subject myself to read the entire series, but I will save it on the DC app and I will read a few, a few issues. It's just Jason. It's the, it's the meme of that fucking possum being like, stay away from my garbage. But it has, or, uh, or is it more like the, uh, the meme with the, the crab with the knife? mess with the crabbo get the stabbo yeah I, I i do want to shout out the people who worked on this because i even though even though i know it's it's not necessarily what we would call good comic books i thoroughly enjoyed it i'm glad they made it i wanted yes. to shout them out len kaminsky did the uh, wrote it anthony williams did pencils uh, andy lenning did inks yeah man what a trip what a fucking trip dude that's amazing. I'm, yeah, I'm I, like almost done with it. And I think he fights Dr. Fate at the end. So I'm very excited to see how this goes. I, I, I hope I hope also like we we drive the point home enough that even when there's books that we don't really like that we we do we do actually like them in different ways sometimes. Like when like when I was reading yeah. the um the Ratcatcher issue, especially um after like putting the beautiful art of Lee Weeks aside, like I think I even just like audibly said out loud in my living room as I was reading it. I was just like, comics are good, man. Comics are comics good. Comics are good, man. Just just like immediately like rat, you know, rat catcher with the wooden whistle that he made that only rats can hear. I'm just like, fuck yeah, man. Fuck <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Comics are good. Yeah. And so like, yeah, like fate, like sure. It's dumb. He's a dumb guy, but suddenly he went to Harvard for some reason, but he loves throwing knives, even though it's supposed to be like a magic guy book. But yeah, God, it's so much like, like it's like, yeah, give, give me all it's the very, ridiculous thoughts. It's very, you have. when they were like, when they were like, Hey, we're running out of ideas for Dr. Fate. And they're like, what if his arm came alive with tentacles and like it would it looked like the thing? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. More, 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 more. Yeah. What what if but instead of an the, educated the, man, we made him an idiot criminal? Yeah. Yes. The problem is, is that with this book is that, you know, it ran for 22 issues and fans of Dr. Fate were were not down for it. And it departed, I think, too far away from the Dr. Fate mythos. It was too big of a swing. Yeah. Also, the first five and the zero issue are a slog to get through. So even if you're like, hey, I'm on board, it's like, ah, this isn't the best foot forward. Yeah. Like it takes them it takes them literally six months to find their groove and figure out like what works. Um yeah. the conspiracy theorist guy 
is way better of a supporting cast than his ex-wife. His ex-wife hangs around for a little while before they're like, oh, we should just get rid of her. <laughs> she just like flies to another city and she's gone out of the book. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause she's um, the ex-wife. So that's a lot easier to write out of like, oh yeah, I divorced you for a reason. And then like, yeah, she's in Cincinnati now. Like right. whatever. Like mm. he, he like fate lives in a fucking shithole. And he's like, as long as it's got beer and cable, who cares? And I'm just like, fuck, God damn it, fate. Oh, man. I th- shit, uh, I think you might reread this. I think it's got its hooks in you. <laughs> it, it truly does have its hooks in me. I, I, I wanted to read it because I usually like magic stuff in the DCU. Like, that's where all the weirdos are, basically. Yeah. And uh, this, this is no exception. A lot of weirdos in this. And it's, it's very, very good. Lots of chins. Um, so many chins. Lots of lots of chins. Lots of weird creatures. He like he like pops between realities uh, using like these ley lines. And he uh, in one of he gets sent in. OK, he fucking fastball specials. Sentinel throws him at a god of decay and death that is coming out of the exploded old Dr. Fate tower that is creating a rift between realities. Right. So it's this giant zombie skeleton man. Who's like, who's like, I can't wait to start killing. And then (laughs) Sentinel throws Dr. Fate knife first at this, this giant skeleton God and just clocks him in the head. But it puts Dr. Fate into this like, reality between realities and he doesn't know where he is and he's like this place is weird as fuck but i'm rolling with it because i'm i'm fate you know like he's like assures himself and the thing that disturbs him not all the weird creatures not all the like fucked up shit not that he can't tell which way's up which way's down he sees elvis <laughs> alive and well in between realities <laughs> Love, love a good little, I, I love a quick little Elvis joke, you know, whether it's like someone oh, obviously man. meeting Elvis in like a desert diner somewhere or like yeah, when they're on yeah, an alien yeah. ship or something. Oh. I always, always love a, a good, good, quick Elvis joke. You know what? Fuck it. I am recommending this book. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> it sounds great. Started issue six. Read doc, read fate. All right. It's, it's very, very good. I'll, I'll start um, at issue six. You got, you sold me. You sold me on it. The, the I was chatting about this in our Discord, and um, one of the DC editors or ex editors that hangs out there was saying that um, he edited a Doctor Fate book, and he found it incredibly difficult to make a Doctor Fate book. That he is a great ancillary character; he's a great like secondary. When he shows up in a book, you're like, "Oh, Doctor Fate's here!" But yeah. when you write a Doctor Fate book, it's very difficult to make it interesting and compelling. I, I, um, I think, I think you could do it, but I think you would have to go the like, may they rest in peace, but the vertigo route and like, not so much to make it like, you know, to have like, you know, boobs or cursing in it, but just because like, if you read a vertigo book, if you're, if you're a comic book fan and you read a vertigo book, you're expecting a lot of dialogue and you're expecting well, a lot but you more. Can't, you, you can't, you can't know. go deep into like hellblazer territory, you know, cause that book already exists. So you yeah. have to make it different than hellblazer. Yeah, but you know? I'm saying I'm saying you in, in a Vertigo book, uh, the fans accepted a lot of like, you know, Morpheus and death walking and talking than they would have yeah. in a, this uh, book, a a more a more main title like DC. For book, what it's you know? worth, for what it's worth, this book feels like a reaction to, you know, 
Morpheus and Death walking and talking and having a thoughtful conversation. This feels like a reaction of like nuts to that. Let's start stabbing like because they both kind of exist in similar situations. Like when fate is ambushed by like the magical beings like Phantom Stranger and Sentinel and, and a bunch of other uh, magicians, like they all get a crack at like kind of trying to break him magically. And he's just so stupid that they can't. <laughs> and it's it's like. I, I don't know. It See, feels like I, I got that vibe that yeah. this feels like the anti Sandman, you know? Well, yeah, well, I, I was going to I was thinking that, like, you know, probably the way to write this character, if they wanted to reboot, you know, Dr. Fate as like fate and they wanted to have this completely different person, probably the way to do it is that, OK, he's not that smart. And Dr. Fate was always smart, but this guy isn't that smart. But how about I'm going to write a story where it's going to make the character realize that he needs to study and he needs help. So he's still going to be kind of dumb. I'm going to be able to get great jokes and stuff out of that. But here's the, the, the central thrust of he's, like this story is that he's like, like sitting down cracking books open and he's having trouble with it because he was by, never by the, 18, you know, issue 18, issue 19, where I'm at right now, he like cleaned his apartment and is like <laughs> starting to get his shit together. So oh. I was like, I was like, oh, they were they were thinking about this. They were like, okay, yeah, we need to play in this space, but he needs to start to evolve so that we can have bigger and bigger threats. Basically, yeah, yeah, because because it would they didn't it get it. They didn't get a chance to do that until I don't know. They it went for twenty two issues. I've read nineteen of them. I'm yeah. like almost done. Yeah. Um. Oh my god, this this book's <laughs> so good. Totally fucking reading we, it, man. Totally if I if I if I get a chance to like do anything anything I want at DC, I'm bringing this character back. <laughs> Jason, the wild thing is like he'll be in combat and he'll be like the name's Jared, and I'm just like, God damn it, you are stupid. <laughs> Here's my social security number too. <laughs> Long as I have cable and beer, I'm fine. <laughs> it's so dumb so good oh i love it so much i love it mm. so much mm. beautiful i don't have any additional stuff to read because all i did was read this dr fate book this phenomenal phenomenal book oh, i'm tearing up i'm tearing up jason i'm tearing <laughs> up Co comics are just good they're just good man i promise i'll bring something a little more highbrow to the show next time maybe if, unless i'm still reading fate and we'll yeah, just maybe, talk more fate. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm down for that. I'm down for that. <laughs> this is world's world's fate is finest. <laughs> Jason, how can how can people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, people can get in touch with me uh, on the Twitter machine at King of Black Acid um, and at World's Second Finest. That's uh, World's Second with the with the two, the number two in the middle there. I've been mm -hmm. trying to be better at posting more on the World's Second Finest account, at least, uh, you know, so when you when you got episodes out, keep my song parody streak going. Had one yep. in early today. Quite proud of that nice, one. Nice. 
I finished editing that previous episode, by the way, on Saturday. This is part of the reason why I only read Fate this week was because I've just been absolutely slammed by work. And I was like, I need a day to edit the pod before it goes out, like mere hours later. Yeah. You can reach me at linktree.com slash Nick Phil or Nick Phil on Twitter. I also uh, more easily accessible in a discord. Uh, My discord links are on the link tree. So, yeah, uh, if you want to come and hang out, please do. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. But uh, that's where you can find me. And by the time this uh, episode comes out, it'll be in the second week of it. But I just want to give a shout out again to my my favorite radio station, WFMU. They're doing their annual two week uh, fundraiser. They're uh, completely oh, nice. independent. They uh, w, go to de, go to wfmu.org. Um, you can pledge, but you don't have to pledge or anything to listen. It's just f- commercial free, free form radio. Uh, they have archives going back twenty years. All of the radio stuff is is free, but I, I highly recommend making a pledge. You can get awesome uh, t shirts and other swag and stuff. But and and support a great um, uh, a, a great thing that. I, yeah, I, you've I recommended this uh, station to me before. I, I've listened yeah. to it while I've while I'm working. Uh, yeah, multiple times. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, they do a lot of like indie rock, like fun stuff. So yeah, and and I'll also yeah. like and uh, and they have a wonderful uh, app for uh, iOS and Android where you can like access all of their archives, download them straight mm-hmm. to your phone. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Like some of my favorite radio shows, I'll even go back years sometimes, and it's just really cool to put that on i just wanted to kind of get that in there real quick sure sure i just Uh, love love wfmu